It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. I'm good. How are you, Julie? I'm very, very excited about our interview today. I don't. I want you to do the introduction, Torin. But one reason I'm so excited about this interview is because we talked a lot about disability in the workplace during Indeem in October. Yep. But like I've been telling everyone from my soapbox is that we don't only talk about disability in October. We need to talk about it all the time so that we can have great conversations and reduce the fear and stigma that's associated with how we can be successful in the workplace. And so I think this is like a perfect going into to the holidays episode to let all of us kind of ruminate on and think about how we start the new year with more focus and authentic engagement with the disability community. Yeah, I, steal I, all your thunder? <laughs> I agree. No, I agree with you 100%. But before we get into the conversation, because I too am looking forward to the conversation, you were actually promoted a couple of months back. Uh, actually, the promotion came in the month of October during Indeem. So just for the listeners, tell the listeners a bit about Julie, your role, uh, and, and how the transition has been since October. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, so I, I was named executive director of disability solutions. And for those who know me well, that listen to the podcast, we're really disability and inclusion as a service. So we help companies build hiring and retention programs, brand and strategy for talent with disabilities. And what's been really exciting since I took over as executive director is we've done some reorganization and all that fun stuff internally, but we've really stretched our message and our marketing out to be a balanced conversation. So when I first started in this space working with companies, I only talked about data. I only talked about outcomes. The only thing that matters is that you're getting a good business result and that you are having great hires. That's all I, I, I just wanted to be business. And in that conversation, I lost the heart of hiring talent and changing people's lives and changing people's minds. Mm. And what we've been working on in the last six or seven weeks is how do we tell a really great story mm-hmm. that makes you want to get out of bed and do what I do every single day and have that ability to both change lives and also very frankly save lives by giving people an opportunity to be successful in the workplace. And that's challenged me to a whole new level in terms of how I tell my story and how I relate our outcomes to those great kind of feel good moments that aren't charity, but that give it the heart that you need to want to be a part of a movement like ours. So Thank you for asking. Things are going so well. I was at the UN in early December. That was amazing. And we are looking forward to a just kick-ass 2020 at Disability Solutions. Yes. Shout out to you, Julie. And for those that are new listening to the podcast, 
Uh, you can find my incredible partner, my partner who was at the UN. Let me tell you, she was real humble with that, but we're talking the United Nations. And and I, I'm not bragging on her, but I'm bragging on her. We are absolutely committed to doing this work. And this work is taking Julie to a variety of places all throughout the country, as well as internationally. I'm absolutely proud to be partnered up with Julie Sowash. You can find her on Twitter at Julie Sowash. That's J-U-L-I-E-S as in Sam, O-W-A-S-H. Shout out to you, Julie. So back in uh, 2017, I get this email and this email comes from this incredible woman who is looking for a bit of advice. I don't exactly remember the 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 exact request, but I know that she was looking for some advice and and she met me by way of my presence on Sirius XM. Sirius XM has been an incredible platform for me meeting people all around the country. Well, Willay is a stroke survivor and full name Willay Ivory. She's a stroke survivor with that invisible difference that now really affects how she approaches work. And and what I mean by that, it, it changes and, and has reshaped how she she looks for purpose, impact and profit inside of her professional walk. So, Wale, welcome to Crazy and the King. How are you? Thank you. I'm wonderful. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Torn, for having me. Yeah, yeah. We, we really. Thrilled. Yeah, we really wanted to get to the conversation back in October. Unfortunately, timing didn't allow it to happen in October. But some of us, we operate on the frequency that all steps are ordered. And so we feel like it's supposed to be happening right now. And so we're happy about that. So, Wale, let's hop right to it. That incident, that stroke, it changed your professional posture. Talk about that incident, that situation as much as you're comfortable talking, because what we really want, we really want our listeners to get to get a feel for what it's like for the person with a disability in the workplace. Absolutely. And gladly. Um, and, and really, I'm pretty open about being a stroke survivor, being a young stroke survivor, uh, because when people see my face, they don't think stroke Um, They don't think, oh, she had to learn to walk again and talk again and drive again. Um, They just think as it relates to the professional environment, you know, get up there, give your presentation. And they don't realize that, wait a second, now I need a note card. You know, I didn't need one before, but now I need little prompts because that short term memory isn't there. So um, just to give you a little bit of background about me, Prior to my stroke, I was um, actually um, instructing classes, um, selling equipment across the Southeast, going to different trade shows. Um, And then after my stroke, my speech wasn't there. My memory wasn't there to operate as I had before. So it wasn't a matter. It wasn't like a cold, you know, once you're in the hospital, you're over it and then you're back to life as as it used to be. Um, That wasn't my experience at all. Um, And so I I love that you have this platform. So we're able to really talk about kind of those invisible differences. And I I know I may shy away from the term disability a bit. So you've got to excuse me there. Oh, no problem. Correct me. Correct me. Yeah. And and that's only because um, everything shifted for me. So 
when I, I actually had a stroke in 2011 and I came back to Florida to recover for a few years. And then I realized I was living in Atlanta and I said, I've got to go get my life back. And so I moved back to Atlanta at the end of 2014. And now I didn't do anything that I had done before. My goal was to, I was hired as an employment specialist to place people with disabilities back into the workforce. That was where my passion was. And the reason I say I don't really look at disabilities is because here I was immersed in this, um, um, I guess, developmental disability space. And every client that I saw, I could only see strengths in that person. And I said, okay, we're not gonna hang on to any of those labels. You do this, you know, you're, you're great at playing the cello. You're great at, um, your energy is great. We can use it in this capacity. Um, so, so that's where my kind of association with disability shifted. Um, and I, I just want to be a little bit clear on that because um, I remember specifically, and I'll talk about stroke in just a second, but I specifically remember um, having a client with autism. And I, and I thought, you know, I there's no way I'm going to look for a, a job that, you know, will just allow her to maybe wipe tables down, for example. And she was just, she just had this bubbly personality. So what did I do? Well, I'm, I'm a... I'm a finance person. So I graduated from Hampton with the finance degree many moons ago, <laughs> but I went to the Federal Reserve Bank and I said, you know, it's tax season. I'm sure you guys need this energy. I was able to make a match happen. And that just made me really look at disability, um, really look at like ability and strength versus um, disabilities and the label that society really placed on it. So I have to stop right here. This is a moment in our world. So okay. thank you, Wale. One of the biggest barriers to success and inclusion for the disability community is that, and with good purpose, I understand, but we have for decades set low expectations or no expectations for each other. And when our goal as employment specialists or as CBOs is to focus on how do we mitigate risk? How do we get this person into some position? And the focus is not what the opportunities are or the abilities are, but they're what are, what are the what are the barriers? Then we end up self-sabotaging ourselves and the people that we care about as a community so many times because we refuse to say you're capable of more than I than everyone else sees right now. So thank you for that. I we need a thousand million more of you doing that job. We absolutely do. And there was a couple of things. And by the way, shout out to all of the Hampton Pirates out there listening. Uh, we <laughs> we absolutely love the Hampton Pirates, Carmen Daniels. Uh, if you are, if you are out there, if you are out there listening, Carmen, just know that we gave you a little bit of love on our pod. Hey, so listen, uh, Wale, you said something uh, that was powerful, and it, it I can't repeat it the way that you said it, but basically, you said when a person was sitting across from you, you weren't focused on what they had been through or what they couldn't do. But what could we do for them? And and I'm wondering, had you always been that person or 
did the incident change your character and who you are and that proximity to to your stroke changed how you how you looked at others i'm i'm wondering that that's a great question Torin. you know i've i've always been this kind of human centered person um i've always looked at people's strengths um actually at the be- at the top of each year i typically take strengths finders just to find out what my top 5 strengths are you know and and how i will move about each year but i have often found that once people get to know each other on a human level like you're able to see things that are just like beyond the paper or beyond the resume or beyond the the job description um and and so i rem- along this journey i remember meeting randy lewis you may be familiar with him he wrote a book yes. no greatness without goodness and i spoke to him there was this like a um not a vip reception but there was a for people that were focused on disability employment at Georgia Tech at the time, um, we got to really have an intimate conversation with Randy Lewis. And I remember asking him a question and he said, you know, continue to do the work you're doing. When I started, uh, people would often ask me, well, what are, what are the risks involved with, you know, hiring someone with a disability to do this type of work? And I said to them, and this is Randy talking to me, he said, you know, they've been figuring out how to survive and how to accomplish things their entire lives. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, keep them empowered and let them tell me how I should move forward. And that's something that I've kept since my stroke for sure. Um, but it certainly validated that, you know, let me continue to focus on strengths because focusing on the other way is is just not um, beneficial to anyone. <laughs> Hmm, that barrier of low expectations. Julie, you want to jump in? Randy Lewis really kind of brought this whole conversation to the forefront and really has been such an amazing champion from Walgreens and, and in his post-life. And he's a caregiver, which obviously gives him an incredibly unique perspective. One thing that I but one thing that I think is really important and what I've seen change in our community in the past three, three and a half years is that we're pushing past the about us without us kind of of scenario or environment where a, a lot of times people who are caregivers and allies and and supporters of people with disabilities at the highest levels have been the ones making the decisions for us and right. on our behalf. And we have to own our own voices and we have to own those conversations. And so that's why I, I'm so excited that you're here. And I've really been pushing you know, to tell my story because I think it's so critical for business and the humanity in general to start to hear the power that we bring to the table and and starting to push into those leadership roles and building these programs and these um, platforms for each other and ourselves as as individuals with disabilities. Absolutely. Can I jump in there for a second? Um, yeah. This is your show. Let's roll. No, no. So I, I love that. I love that you said, you know, you have to own it. And I think my stroke to answer your question, Torin, that's exactly what kind of made me take this ball and run with it. It was now I saw things differently. Now I saw that um, 
people saw me in ways that I didn't see myself. So, so I'm going to back up to, to once I left my nonprofit um, employment specialist position, I, I was adamant about getting back into the for-profit corporation um, space. And many in that space, especially in the tech space, were focused on autism specifically. And I said, well, if I'm going to um, embark upon this programming, it has to be a neurodiversity program because, you know, selfishly, I guess in the beginning, I thought here I am, this stroke survivor that no one sees, you know, we're not looking at neurological differences. We're focused on one label. So what about people with stroke? What about people with PTSD, with ADHD? Anytime the brain is wired, quote unquote, differently, you know, I think everyone falls into that bucket. And so I started this neurodiversity initiative for that reason. It's because I wanted to create a space where everyone could be seen, you know, um, and, and I thought even even if you learn differently, for example, I wanted to partner with the learning and development teams to say, hey, some people are this type of learner or that type of learner, but let's focus on neurological differences um, and and and. And by us doing that, we're able to then kind of, you know, focus, you know, focus on stroke or focus on autism, but they fall under one umbrella so that we're focused on neurodiversities as a whole. Hey, so, Wale, I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges that you experienced getting the program off the ground, whether and you can answer from the standpoint of being in the tech company and how it was different than working in the nonprofit space. Mm -hmm. But I'd really love as a person with a differing ability, a superpower as that individual, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome? So I think first is by having an invisible difference, everyone kind of assumed for me personally, it's like, Oh sure. Go give this, this talk or go give this presentation. Now, I remember going to give an onboarding presentation in Minneapolis and I had to rehearse (laughs) probably hundreds of times. um, And people don't see that. People don't see that duck that looks like it's, you know, kind of cruising on the lake, but the legs going really fast underneath. (laughs) I don't know where you were going with that one. I was like, what in the hell is she doing? (laughs) No, because I'm seriously, I'm listening to you and I'm like, did she like have a vision thing? Like, but I get it. Yeah. Scared. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Your short term memory. So for me personally, my short term memory at times is just gone. So I can probably say something to you now. um, But if I don't have a, a note card or some type of reference point, then I may absolutely forget where I was. Right. And so giving presentations for me post-stroke has been about kind of, you know, some of my personal accommodations is making sure I always have those note cards, making sure I always have notes in my presentation so that I can refer back to, to get me back on track, right? Um, Another thing that I notice is um, kind of unconscious biases were like, well, I personally felt like if I took a little while to answer, maybe that was perceived as being not so smart, you know what I mean? Or not thinking fast enough on my feet. Um, and that that was a little hurtful, you know, because it was like, I, I know what my challenges are and I know how to, you know, work around them. But sometimes I need a little more time to just think a little bit about it before I answer, you mm. know, whereas 
extroverts or others, you know, may not. Um, what else post-stroke? Um, not, not sure. Let, let me think, let me think more about those, um, those differences. Right. So, you know, Julie, I, I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing to her, Julie? Because I, I just literally, you, 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 you raise such an incredible point. And as a person that is differently abled, listen, look at that. Did you see how I did that? You know, as a person who is differently abled, I don't know if I've thought enough about trying to seek out the person who or or making the accommodations for inclusion for a person who may have had a stroke inside of the clients that I've supported. Mine is a little bit different because I'm not inside of a workspace every day, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I've sought that out enough. The other piece that I have to comment on is, hey, Julie, so when we are interviewing candidates, one of the pieces of advice that we always give them is you don't have to immediately respond. Don't we say that? Don't we say it's okay for you to take a moment to think about and to gather yourself and to provide a thoughtful and coherent? uh, Don't we tell people that? Don't we tell candidates that? Yes. Yes. All the time. And yet here we are in Willay's example, and she's saying, I can take that same 30 seconds. I can look up to the right uh, of my the, of the room for a different reason. And in some instances, it's held against her. Yeah. I, I, and we teach this all of the time. And in, in a different way, for a different reason, I have the same fears due to my my disability. And I talk to my husband about it all the time. If I feel like I have that pause, it really makes me very, very uncomfortable. And in doing this podcast, one thing that's been really interesting for me is what I think is a pause that's so long is not that long. And so trying to kind of adjust my anxiety and expectations when I do have the pause. But what we teach leaders all the time especially when they're interviewing people with cognitive disabilities or mental health issues, neurodiverse um, disabilities, is that it's okay to have some silence. Embrace the silence. Don't ask another question and allow the person that you're interviewing the courtesy of forming an answer. And so that is one of the universal best practices that I teach leaders and that I teach recruiters and interviewers to make an interview better, but it is particularly impactful for people with disabilities. And and I'm I'm okay with my label. So I, I say disabled, so I'm not going to say different abilities, but I fully support you owning your label of different abilities. Complete side note. So perfect. <laughs> um and so I, I think that's just a really, really impactful story that you shared, Wille, to say how your processing has changed and how not only does that processing impact is an er- not only is that processing difference an impact to you, but it also has a multiplier effect of, because it adds to the uncertainty of situations and the potential insecurities that come along with managing thinking differently than you used to. 
So I just thought about one other thing too, um, because it, it was great hearing you say, um, you know, o- owning that time, right? And, and just taking the time that you need to process. And, and you may feel that it's forever, but it really doesn't feel that long to others. Um, I will also say on the flip side is, I also realized that, you know, the, I don't know, the, the, the bias that I felt from others I had also developed a bias. I realized that I also developed a bias and that was um, surviving a stroke and knowing the statistics, right? So here I was in the corporate space and we all know sometimes things take, you know, a few meetings. Okay, we'll get back to that in two weeks. We'll get back to that next month. You know, it's like, okay, we've got time. But for me, I was sitting with the statistic that every 40 seconds, someone has a stroke. Mm. Right. And so my idea of time sitting in corporate meetings and saying, "Okay, we'll meet again next week. I became like impatient almost because I thought every 40 seconds someone's having a stroke. I remember um, after, you know, during during surviving that first year, I started running five K's and I got faster and faster because I was thinking every 40 seconds I'm running for someone who's having a stroke, you know, and so I carried that with me carried that back into the workforce with me. And and I think that was something I developed post-stroke. It's kind of this sense of urgency that, that I hadn't had before. Sense of urgency. And I can tell you right now, we need more of that sense of urgency around all of the diversity and inclusion space. So before we wrap up the conversation, Wale, let me just put a few stats out there uh, for yourself and our listeners. Um, I found a report from Nonprofit HR, and we'll make sure we put the link inside of the show notes, but only 52% of nonprofits have a formal diversity statement. Mm. Only 31% of nonprofits have a diversity strategy, and only 22% have a person solely responsible for diversity efforts. Now, I know that we talked from the, the angle of the employee, but we did cover your professional work in this space, both in the nonprofit sector as well as the tech sector. So I just wanted to to put that out there because again, we want to reinforce that we are not um, we are not centering this conversation around any particular sandbox. When Julie and I chase down progress in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, we are doing it with no boundaries from Wall Street to your street, from that industry to academia, from Belize to the Bahamas. I mean, we really are looking for and talking about it with no boundaries. So we're going to make sure that we put uh, the uh, link to that report. You can find it at nonprofithr.com forward slash 2019 diversity report. Um, It's over on the nonprofithr.com website. Uh, so, Julie, you want to rock and roll uh, as we close out with Willay Ivory? There's one more question I want to ask Willay, and then I'll put it at the end before we get started sure. in that piece. So, Willay, one thing that I heard you say is that you grew impatient with progress. And so, can you tell us a little bit about how you're making an impact in our community? Now, is it still in the tech space or have you moved outside of that? Oh, so yes, I've I've taken a hard pivot. I've taken a really hard pivot. Um, I actually resigned um, 
and moved back home to Florida in November of 2017. So I'm, I'm right at that two-year mark. And Torn doesn't know this, but Torn was um, really, um, I, I think about that Rip the Resume um, book often, just that cover, because for me, it meant not holding on to the past, but really taking the leap and saying, all right, never mind what I've done, but I can courageously, you know, um, as Toni Morrison says it, um, I stood at the border, stood at the edge and claimed it as central and let the rest of the world move over to where I was. So I took that with me and I said, I'm going for it. And so, yes, I did leap into entrepreneurship and I decided to develop it organically, meaning I would take what was important to me, put that at the center of whatever project um, or, or consulting project that I was doing, and I would use my experiences to now feed that project. So that's what I'm doing now. I am picking and choosing who I work with, really some innovative thinkers, um, really people that really don't want incremental change, but are really focused on moving the needle forward. Um, and I'm just grateful for having this diverse experience, whether it's finance or fashion or being a stroke survivor or working with people with disabilities, um, whatever it is, just taking all of it, using my toolbox and opening it up in places that, that I hadn't seen before. So, so that's a great point. So will they tell me, uh, or tell our listeners, how can they find you? <laughs> so you can find me at Willay.com. That's really the quickest way, W-I-L-L-A-E.com. And, and I'll tell you, so I, or you can find me on um, Instagram, probably, Willay Falana, which is W-I-L-L-A-E, Falana, F-A-L-A-N-A, Co, C-O. And I hadn't touched on this before, but um, I jumped out and I named my company Willay Falana Co. Um really to just focus on alignment, right? Um, to focus on, on, or to help people focus on the essence of who they are. So I said, in order to do that, I have to lead by example. And boy, I've got two years of experience um, to really, really share those stories. But in a nutshell, Wale, if you put A-E at the end of anything, it feminizes it typically in the English language. So it means a woman with the will um, Falana, I looked up in a in a name book like years ago, um, means to create your own path. And co uh, means collaboratively. So I'm a woman with the will to create her own path uh, collaboratively. So that's how you can find me. That's what it means. And I am really enjoying this organic space. Got it. So I'm going to make sure that I connect you with two of my dear friends down in Miami, uh, one who handles Black Tech Week. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Black Tech Week, you should be familiar with them. And then another oh, one am. who does some great design work out of Miami. And, and I suspect that, you know, both of them will have room for you through through your lens to to be able to talk to their audiences and or be a resource when they are doing some of that design work. So I promise I'm going to make those connections for you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Torin. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, no, thank you. So you're going to take us to the close? Absolutely. And before we do that, listen, I just want y'all to understand something. We working over here. So don't be surprised <laughs> if in 2020 we have some new music. We got some new cadence. Now, I'm not promising it, but I'm just saying don't be surprised if it happens. We are going to get in the lab 
and figure out how we can do our podcast, Crazy and the King, even better. We're not lacking. We're, I'm sorry, we're not being lazy uh, on this side. We are absolutely going to work. We want you to have an awesome rest of the week. Don't forget, you can catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 every Sunday at 1 p.m. For now, the kid is ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag, Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sells, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.